Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hi, this is Ann Kelly, and I'm here with one of my co-hosts, Sue Marriott. And today in our studio, we have a special guest. His name is Dr. Stan Tacken. Dr. Tacken is a world-renowned expert in relationships. He has uh, co-founded the PACT Institute, which stands for the Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy. Dr. Tacken teaches at UCLA and maintains a private practice in Southern California. And he leads PACT trainings all over the United States as well as internationally. And he has, from his wealth of knowledge in uh, training therapists and treating couples, He has taken his extensive knowledge and written multiple books, which we think our listeners will find very interesting and informative. He's written um, Wired for Dating, How Understanding Neurobiology and Attachment Style Can Help You Find Your Ideal Mate. He's also written Wired for Love and a more recent book called Your Brain on Love, The Neurobiology of Healthy Relationships. You can also get that um, in an audio form where Stan speaks directly to you. We often recommend that book in our practice. Um, And he's also co-authored a book, uh, Love and War in Intimate Relationships with Marion Solomon. So uh, Sue and I are very honored to have him here today as we interview and um, I think you'll find the interview and discussions quite helpful. So sit back and, and uh, listen. Thanks for joining us. All right, and welcome to Therapist Uncensored. We are super excited today to bring a special guest, Stan Tatkin. And I'm really super excited to have him in particular as our first official guest, you know, someone to bring in the interview. Um, because we believe that he is the very single best person out there that is doing the translation of the science, the relational sciences, in a way that is understandable and bringing that to the public. And he's been doing it for years in this fantastic way. So we are honored to have you with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we... um, Go back a couple of years. That's right. That's right. You actually brought me out here uh, some years ago through Austin and Connection. That's right. Um, Stan just mentioned Austin and Connection. That is the largest gathering of mental health professionals in a local community that are interested in the neurobiology of attachment and getting the word out to the public. Austin and Connection dot org. That's true. I found you on the internet. You did. <laughs> <laughs> like finding my picture in a post, uh, post office. <laughs> and actually, you work all over, not just in Austin. Uh, you have uh, packed. We, we train therapists uh, around the country mm-hmm. and out of the country, too. In Canada, Australia, uh, Turkey, Spain. Uh, and we've even been to Russia. Mm-hmm. But we haven't been back. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't been back. We haven't been back yet, no. <laughs> What I love uh, is how you started to really translate from talking to therapists, but to talking to the public yeah. and bringing it down to just such an earthy way of having people really understand what's going on in the abyss of their mind right. and bringing right. it to something that somebody can really understand and how it affects how we relate to ourselves and other people. And I think it's just, uh, when I ran into your work, I was, it just brought such clarity to such difficult topics. It's really affected my work 
as a, as a uh, therapist. Thank you. Well, this whole thing started really uh, as a study group in my office. And, uh, and then there was a time when I began to think uh, about this idea of being in your own care or being in the other's care. And I think that's actually what started it off, was the idea, and at this time I was studying with Alan Shore, uh, that there was something wrong with the idea in couples uh, of focusing on the individual in couple therapy and uh, sort of um, emphasizing self-regulation. You know, each person has to learn how to take care of themselves. And there was something that seemed wrong about that, given the science, that uh, in, in pairs, starting with the early, you know, the first couple, the caregiver-infant pair, um, it, it doesn't work that way, right? It works, you know, works uh, uh, quite differently uh, with the regulation coming outside uh, from the infant. But then even during the early years, that the, the brain is being developed not by self-regulation, but by something called uh, interactive regulation, mutual regulation between infant and caregiver. And that is also true in adult relationships. And so I, I, as I recall, I think what's, uh, what really triggered this whole thing that I started doing was that first idea that we got it wrong in terms of how to guide couples, uh, that it really, no one can see this because I'm doing, I'm finger pointing, but that it's really that partners, uh, the way to think about this, partners are in each other's care, not their own care. Yeah, I like it before you said uh, that couples therapy was, it's been historically terrible. Like historically you, you were really terrible. better off to not go to couples therapy right. if you were yes. in a relationship. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but the, the good news is that uh, with recent technologies, and understanding that we've gotten better at it. So go go on, but uh, that's an important. Well, I, I think um, you know uh, John Gottman did a lot to change the field because here was a researcher, not a clinician, who was studying cu- couples and looking at them from uh, a research point of view, but also from a biological point of view. I mean, he was hooking people up to you know, all sorts of instruments to measure heart rate, uh, skin temperature all of these things, and, uh, and finding out, you know, what couples really do and what they don't do and what works with couples and what doesn't work with couples. And I think that inspired me and a lot of other therapists to start to broaden their thinking from just, uh, you know, a single theoretical model, psychological model, into one that includes biology, which includes then the brain, learning how the brain develops uh, understanding medicines, understanding basically physiology, but uh, more importantly, um, really putting all of that information together and learning about the developmental trajectory of a person. And then also, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, why do we pair bond? Uh, and how different or similar is that to uh, what works in the mother-infant pairing in terms of secure attachment? And, you know, what I have found and others have found, like Sue Johnson as well, uh, is that they're entirely similar, except for the big issue here is that there's a great deal of asymmetry in in childhood, right? Um, In adulthood, pair bonding is a symmetrical situation. But outside of that, 
um, the rules are pretty much the same in terms of what creates a secure attachment in a child and what uh, creates a secure functioning relationship uh, between two adults. So so, yeah. what, so, what about those out there that are not in relationships? Can you have a, pri- you know, but in their primary attachment might be their sister, um, you know, their sister or a long-term roommate or uh, their child, um, you know, single parent, you know, with a close child. What, what right. about something like that? Well, it, it should be understood that uh, that attachment has and never has had anything to do with uh, with eroticism or romance, uh, actually, a lot of people don't even realize that uh, uh, you know attachment theory says nothing about discipline. You know, uh, it's only about safety and security. So when I uh, talk about secure functioning, I'm not uh, you know specifically talking about romantic couples. That, but, that's great. So that way, just the our umbrella as we're talking, absolutely. we can think in terms of primaries in general. Right. But that we do need an other. We we do. Is that fair to say? We need another human being. So even if those of us that are single out there, um, that we might think about who's your closest person or who do you consider your primary? Your primary. That's the language we use as primary. Everybody needs a primary. Well, it's it just seems to turn out that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not written in the book that you need a primary, but it seems to be that way. Mm -hmm. That even though. We are, you know, uh, animals that are herd animals, right? We're, um, you know, we we are group animals. Mm-hmm. We still seem to pair off within that group. So uh, that could be your best friend. It could be a teacher. It could be uh, somebody in the clergy. It could be a parent or an uncle. Um, uh, and oftentimes it is really just a best friend mm-hmm. uh, or it's somebody that you're paired with uh, at work, mm-hmm. like uh, police officers and, and you know, right. sharing That's a car right. and true. they're together. Um, they become besties. That's uh, really true. Uh, you know, in, in a way that uh, that we would hope that romantic partners would emulate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think one of the reasons that they do that is, first of all, the culture that they're in, in terms of the uh, police, really, uh, you know, demands that, right? You have to work with with a partner. But also because there's a them and us thing, there's a life survival issue, that they have to protect each other, they have to have each other's backs. And in that process, they naturally get to know each other um, deeply, I mean, really deeply. Uh, they they know each other's secrets. Mm-hmm. They tell each other things. They know each they other's s- tells. They know each other's tells. <laughs> when they're lying. <laughs> uh, and they we know they protect each other. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and they're also the go-to people. So one of the ways to determine a primary is who do you pick up the phone? Who do you call when there's something you really want to celebrate? And, I mean, who's the first person? You may call a lot of people. But, uh, or, when, and, and, or when something's wrong. I'm sorry. Or when something's or when, wrong. And when something's wrong, if if you're, you know, if you just got terrible news, or uh, God forbid you're sick, uh, you know, or you're in pain, uh, emotional, physical pain, you know, who's that first person that you run to? And we know this in childhood, you know, that uh, the child has to run to someone um, when the child is injured, and if given both parents, uh, that child he or she is going to run to one of them first. And we can, might think of that first person as the primary. Right. Yeah. So I like the, uh, then the window here is that, so <clears throat> for anyone listening, um, that as we begin to talk about secure relationships and yeah. what is a secure relationship, that we're really speaking to each and every one of you. Yeah. Um, 
And so what about that? Like what, what is a secure, what makes up a secure functioning relationship in your mind? Well, it's different than what makes a secure relationship in childhood. Uh, well, not entirely different uh, because in childhood, the secure relationship is was really led or created by the caregiver, by the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't to say that that if adults, you know, uh, do everything to create a secure relationship, that the child will be secure. It's not all up to the parent. There's a biology here and mm-hmm. genetics, but but generally speaking, environmentally, you know, that is created by the parent. And 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 let me just say that first: the conditions that are necessary for that is a well-resourced parent, at least one, uh, who has time and energy to focus on the child and to be attentive and present and uh, and find that child over and over again because the child is, is not yet found. Um, uh, and the development of the self, of the personhood uh, of that baby uh, is directly related to the amount of attention and focus and, uh, and, and physical contact, you know, eye to eye, skin to skin, face to face, right? That is the stuff that makes up the developing brain. Um, uh, if those conditions are there and the parent is available, curious, and, and also has the ability to, uh, to see beyond themselves. We, we think of that as a theory of mind, right? Um, I, you know, I don't see myself in everything. I, I look for someone who's, you know, that's not me, right? And so that person has to have a theory of mind to be able to, uh, to locate that baby. Uh, those are the conditions, that creates security. So something that you've said before, um, Anna and I loved this, when you said, um, you're actually, you're talking about adults, but you said you have to find the baby. Right. Um, and you were talking about uh, with adults. And yes. I just love that because it just cut through all the BS <laughs> and that we don't have to be grown-ups, and that we, and it's really about um, locating the baby. Locating the baby in each other because we all want to be found. Mm-hmm. We all want to be found. We want to be seen as we are, mm-hmm. um, at least, you know, at, at least uh, for this time, right? You know, uh, for some people, they never had that. But, uh, but you know, what is the purpose of being, you know, in a relationship, hopefully one that's committed, right, is that people are invested in seeing each other, knowing each other, understanding each other, learning about each other, looking, right, really looking, being present. So, you know, one of the features of an adult secure functioning relationship is presence and attention, right? So this Uh, all sounds really nice. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but what? Well, I mean, a lot of people don't do it. (laughs) A lot of people don't do it. Uh, You do it. Here are the conditions where people will do it automatically. Uh, one is they saw it in their family, right? They've mm-hmm. experienced it because, after all, we, uh, we're animals that are governed by our memory. And what we know is what we've experienced, period. So if we didn't experience it, we're not likely to do it. The other thing is, uh, you know, uh, seeing in the, in the culture, which is hard sometimes to see because there's not a lot of secure functioning examples in our culture, but through a book, through a movie, through a play, whatever, we can adopt, uh, you know, examples for ourselves. Uh, you know, I want that. You know, I want that kind of relationship. I want to be that person. Um, the other way is that people fail over and over again in relationship, and they hopefully get to a point where they've learned, and they become smarter and wiser, and they find somebody like themselves you know, let's not do that anymore. You know, let's do it a different way. Let's, uh, these are all the mistakes we've made. Let's, mm-hmm. let's actually, um, 
uh, do this in a way that's good for both of us. Mm-hmm. Or would it also be fair to say that it's hard just because it's just hard being in the presence of another person, a human being? <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> you I know think one I mean? of my favorite, harder. My right, favorite Stan quotes. And physical proximity <laughs> for very long. What, what is one of your favorite stand quotes? One of my favorite stand quotes is that we're all, uh, I think... You, pains in the ass. Pains in the pain asses. In the ass. Every, and, all, and my, actually, and if, and if you're the one thinking you're not a pain in the ass, you're the bigger one. You're the bigger one, yeah. <laughs> everyone's a burden. Everyone's a pain. Everyone's That's relieving. That's why I was like, okay, that all sounds really nice, but I'm suddenly feeling really bad about myself. So <laughs> it, must be the, it must be that I'm the le- less pain in the rear because at least I know that I'm a pain in the rear. Right. <laughs> Well, so, I'm, I'm doing pretty good then. But also, to just to dovetail on that, uh, I also have said, uh, and actually it was my meditation teacher who said this, who doesn't remember saying it for some reason, but uh, there's actually nothing more difficult on the planet than another person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. getting at. Yeah. yeah. And and so there's a lot of things that people don't uh, know or weren't taught. We have so many messages in our culture that, that makes it very difficult to maintain relationships, friendships, uh, love relationships. There's so many contrary messages mm-hmm. um, about, you know, like you have to love yourself before you love another person, or you have to know yourself before you can know another person. I mean, these, these things are not true, but yet uh, we take these ideas and we justify a lot of our behaviors with them, right? And so, uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have a singular message about how to do relationships, you know. And we don't uh, listen very much to science in terms of, you know, what is the human animal? What, how do we roll? What do we do? What, you know, what makes it so difficult to be in relationship with others? And, and if we were more educated um, and had more guidance, more examples, I think we would do better. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's part of why you're here. So how do we do this, Stan? <laughs> Give us a couple of the... How to, you know, do's and don't do's. Well, I think the very, very first thing is uh, focusing on what relationship do you think is a good relationship? Not the person, but the relationship. Mm-hmm. What kind of relationship do I think is a good relationship to have with another person? And in order to do that, I have to think not just of myself, but I have to think also of that other person. Maybe that person doesn't exist yet. But, you know, what would be good for me and that person? You know, what, uh, what would I want um, uh, for our, you know, governing principles that would uh, help us to sustain the relationship and get along and support each other, given that we're going to be two different people, right? And most people don't make their list on the kind of relationship that it should be. They have a list of the person, right? You know, I want them to be tall. I want them to be blonde or brunette. I want them to make a lot of money. I want, you know, all these other ideas. And uh, I'm not sure that's the best way to go about it. Um, what should the relationship be? What should it stand for? Why even do it? What's the point? You know, I mean, I ask couples this many times. You know, what's the point of you? Why are you together? Why should you be together? What do you do for each other that you couldn't pay someone to do? And then, you know, these people will scratch their heads, you know, because they, they haven't thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the answers are, well, we love each other. You know, that's nice. But, you know, being together... Uh, is not just about you know loving because sometimes you don't like somebody you don't love them what are you going to do then mm-hmm. uh, we have same things in common well that doesn't last very long um, we have children okay that's a lot of people say that our religion says we should do this um, or we have so many so much history together all these reasons that really don't sustain 
So I like to think of it as being in the foxhole together, like the cop car partners. What, what is the survival reason for being together? You know, to get down to the nitty gritty. Um, you know, how are you better together than you would be alone? And, uh, and the answers should be, well, we, we really know each other. Uh, we use each other properly. You know, we go to each other. Uh, we tell each other everything. We, we have each other's backs. We protect each other in public and private. Um, we jealously guard our relationship from intrusion from the outside uh, because we have resources that we need to use for ourselves and for our children or friends or work. You know, these are the things that one would think of if they were thinking in terms of survival. And that's really what being with another person, whether it's a best friend or whatever, you know, that's why we do it, right? It's not just for companionship. Um, it is uh, to be together. Together, you're stronger than if you were alone. Together, you can do things you couldn't do alone because you provide resources for each other. Or at the very least, you take, you know, resource draining issues off the table, like will the relationship exist tomorrow? So that's where I like to point people. What's the relationship you think you should have in the long run, and how is it good for you and that person? And then vet people according to that. If the person you're meeting doesn't agree with you, doesn't think it's important to be open and transparent, um, maybe you should pass on that person. Mm -hmm. Another thing you've said to go with that that I really loved was that when you have an insecure person in a relationship, that they often think of in a one-way system, one-person system. One-person system. So yeah. it's what's good for me. It's right. not what's good for us. That's right. And so, and the way again, I like to think of it that they don't mean they don't mean to do that. They're no. not meaning to be a jerk um, or selfish or anything like that. It's just unconsciously the way that it's set up. So that or they're a, oriented that way from childhood. Right, it's a defensive stance yeah. because there's not an assumption that there's enough safety to not be defending oneself. Right. Um, but that how you can hear it is that and the it's irony about of, the self. The, the irony of that is that when we, when we are going to be in a pairing, if we go into it uh, thinking in a one-person's uh, uh, sense that it has to be good for me, but if it's not good for you, so be it. If we go into these situations with that orientation, that right away uh, is making the relationship dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then even if the other person is in a secure place, right. that it might move them to a bit more of a defensive posture. Of course. Naturally. Um, so just how that would sound would be, um, how is it for me? How is it for you? Yes. Right. Just to Just to play that out. Well, also, is it good for me? Is it good for you? Is it good for me? If it's not good for you, then we, we don't do it. Yeah, win-win. Win. It needs to be right, a win-win. Right. And that means also a person has to really buy into this. They can't just say it. They have to believe that this is the way it must be done. And that if I say to you, um, you know, uh, I want to do this thing, uh, come with me and do it, uh, and you don't look all that great, you say, oh, okay, whatever. Um, uh, if I believe in this thing, you know, good for me, good for you, then I would say, no, wait a second. Um, how can I make it good for you? I want you to be okay, right? I'm not, we're not going to move unless we're both yay because we'll both pay for that, right? We're, we're setting up something we're going to have to litigate down the line because it was unfair, 
right? So, uh, you know, here we're talking about a social justice system or an agreement yeah, uh, to, to base our relationship on fairness, justice, and sensitivity to each other. Otherwise, we'll be threatening. And this is, I think, uh, you know, a basic tenet here of secure functioning that people have to understand that uh, it's not just you here and your needs. You're taking care of your uh, the other person at the same time as you're taking care of yourself. And if you're doing anything other than that, you're either codependent or you're you're playing it in such a way that is going to create resentment in the other person. I think either you might, way, be, you might be bumming some people out about right now. Really? <laughs> either that or, or people are going to be saying, uh, honey, I really have a podcast I want you to listen to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which will be perfect. That's what this is for. <laughs> well, if, if, if frankly, if it bums people out, uh, what I'm saying about mutuality, then good, uh, because well, better. You're, you're pushing yeah, toward security. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Rethink, rethink your principles, your yeah. agreements that you have with uh, others. Yes. Yeah. I think I I love what we're talking about. I think that we theoretically, when we sit and talk about a relationship. Oftentimes we can talk about the mutual trust and the mutuality right. and the what's good for me and good for you. And I think what's so important about your work is we do a lot of talk about how threat compromises that. Yeah. So ideally when my my higher brain is inactive, I think of myself as very mutual and very caring and open right. to listening to my partner. And then when threat hits... Right. And it seems so important in this context, like like what you're saying, Sue, it's like, oh, I kind of bumps people out. When threat goes, we get so tight and we get so yeah. protective of ourselves as animals right. that we lose that mutuality. And yes. I think some of your work is really momentous in helping people understanding that, understand that and how to go from a place of threat yeah. to a place of openness. And you were speaking before about how relationships I want to come back to that for a minute, how relationships often are a little, are like a uh, mother-child bond in a way, in a very different way because it's mutual. But when we're in that state of threat, you do a beautiful job helping people understand to see their partner, just what you were mentioning before, bringing, taking care of the baby in the relationship that, that when your partner is full of threat, they're not going to be in that loving place. They're not going to be in that mutual place. And so it's not then that you challenge them to jump into that mutual place. It's that part that brings out that nurture in us to understand the infant in our partner. Yes. And I'm wondering if you could add or talk about that part of your... I'm sure everyone knows that when we're feeling good, there's no problem, right? (laughs) When we're feeling good, uh, it's easy. Um, If only everything were about feeling good. But there, uh, you know, much of life, much of uh, what happens in relationship uh, doesn't feel good, and we get into distress. We could say the mark of a good couple is how well they co-manage distress. Um, How efficient are they at at, uh, taking it off the table, not by dismissing it, but by sort of digesting it and fixing it, right? Fixing it so there's no ill feeling. Um, and this is the single area, I think this is the big area that gets most people, is they don't understand or, um, you know, how the human brain works and how easy it is to feel threatened, even by someone who loves you or you love. Um, our brain literally mistakes that person uh, for a predator. And that sounds really 
grand, right? But but in many I ways, that right actually now. what happens. Yeah, and uh, and so people um, forget to wave a friend a, f- a flag of friendliness, right? To signal to their partner, even when in distress, that you know what. By the way, I'm I'm a big fan. You know, I love you. I I you know uh, I, I I so appreciate you. And then continue into what they're asserting, right? But. Um, people then square off when they're in distress and they stop really taking care of each other. Uh, they start, as you said, you know, fending for themselves. And people have to understand that when, when one person starts to do that, square off, it forces the other person to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and neither are doing this purposely. Uh, they're acting and reacting automatically according to memory. They're both caught in something. But one of them has to uh, steer the ship, otherwise it goes into the rocks, right? They're both responsible for steering this ship that is the relationship. One of them has to do something to uh, to signal friendliness, to call off the dogs, so to speak, because the other person is now beginning to interpret uh, everything that's being said and done as threatening. And therefore, there's nothing happening except two scared people who are scaring each other, uh, not purposely again, but that's what's happening. So the skill here and the understanding uh, here is that the the real thing that people need to learn is how to manage, co-manage distress, and that's something that needs to be practiced, thought about, learned about, uh, because that's the thing that will get every relationship uh, if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love how you're talking about it and how... The acknowledgement of the, just the biology, it's not yeah. anything personal, there's not no morality personal. to it. No um, angels, no devils. No angels, no devils. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. And then as far as just sort of the, again, going to the practical and um, we've been talking a lot about couples, mm-hmm. is there anything about dating? I yeah. was thinking of maybe the uh, listener in Houston, Texas, say, and let's say that the let's say a gay man in Houston, Texas, right. is listening, and uh, he would love to end up in a relationship. What would you have anything to say to him? Well, gay or straight, doesn't matter. The same rules apply. Uh, what kind of relationship does this man want? Um, is it fully mutual, or is it just serve the self? Uh, because you, when you when you get involved with another person, you're basically forming the smallest unit of a society, right? That's what you're actually doing. And a society is comprised of different people, different people, different interests, different his, histories, right? Different brains. And so how are you going to do that, right? Uh, we rely too much, uh, some, almost magically, on this idea of being the right fit and being perfect for each other and... And that, again, goes along with there'll never be any trouble. <laughs> that person will never be annoying. Um, and, and, we're and, not, and the assumption that I'm not annoying. <laughs> that, and, and that I'm not annoying and that, and that I'm a piece of work as well, you know. Uh, and, and so the, there's not a thoughtfulness about this. Um, we have so many fantasies about soulmates and, you know, the perfect person that we fail to focus on the, the thing that actually is the important thing is, what should a union like this be? What am I yearning for? And watch yourself as you're describing it. Is it too tilted towards you? Um, it has to be built on something that's fair, just, fair and just, right? I want us. This is what we should do. Um, uh, this is how we're going to get along, two different people, right? And that narrows the, the field of possibilities because not everybody wants to play that game. Not everybody is interested in that. 
don't, if that's the kind, if you want a relationship that's truly collaborative and mutual, and you have somebody who has a history of not doing that, and they don't show any interest in doing that, that's not the person you want. You know, do not go for that person. Um, that may, uh, even if they're really good looking and their pecs are really hot and, uh, (laughs) you know what, that's great for a one night stand. It's great for sex. It's not going to be great for a long-term relationship because the relationship has to be safe and secure. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you're in the pit with the predator instead of being protected. Uh, that's not smart. So yes, uh, do we want passion and we want sex? Absolutely. You can have that. Um, can you have everything? No, because the, you have to prioritize what is the most important thing in a companion that's going to be there for the long run. Uh, right now we're trying to pr- pick a president. We should be thinking about who do we want for the long run, not just the personality, not just uh, this or that, but putting it all together, who's the safest bet, right? Who's going to protect us the most? I mean, I'm not trying to pitch anything here, but I'm saying the you know the, the thinking has to be on you know, what is going to be the best thing, um, uh, and that's how you pick. So, fine, pick somebody for a while to screw, uh, to have sex with, wild sex with, but don't confuse that with a long-term relationship. Right, like not to confuse it with an attachment relationship. Right, right. It's funny, you just even mentioning the president part, like I could feel my heart rate go up. Uh, (laughs) True, the whole feeling Um, of threat. Right, the very topic right exactly. now. Exactly, that's, so that's been just... that's been called elections uh, uh, stress disorder by the FDA. <laughs> oh, right? has it? Yes, I it can has. feel it. Yeah. One of the things, though, that I really like what you're saying when we're talking about choosing a partner. Right. It is so hard in choosing a partner not to be, um, and, and you speak about it in in your your book, uh, your brain on love. Right. And that is that when we're choosing our partner, we're often on drugs. And oh, we are definitely we are on definitely drugs. on drugs, and we're in a, a state that is altering our perspective. But it also is that we often are looking for partners who we feel like round out ourselves, like all the things that we feel like we're missing, and we become more of a whole person. Right. And what I love what you're saying, Stan, is that to really get quiet with yourself. This is what I hear you saying: get quiet with yourself and think, what is it? that would really help me feel safe. Like when I'm thinking about this person, not only do I have a great time and they make interest in things, do I feel really safe with them? Yes. And then I also hear you saying that in choosing the partner, look at the values you want in, right. a, in a long-term relationship and then look to yourself or right. you, not to your partner for them, but looking to yourself, like I want mutuality. Do mm-hmm. I really want mutuality? Like yes. what do I really want instead of, is my partner giving me mutuality? Exactly. But do I give mutuality? Yes. And uh, and then do I reach for it? And really helping people identify what they really want before they go forward exactly. is a really... So you just made me think of something. So there are two sides of this coin, this coin that actually ends up very badly. Um, one is to imagine what that person will give me. I yes. want to feel safe. I want to feel loved. I want to feel special. I want to now feel important. I want to be lavished with an adoration, right? Um, and there's no mention, of course, what I will do for that person. <laughs> to get that. <laughs> right. And so, you know, totally. that, that, you know, hearing that, I often think, watch out. Yes. Uh, but then there's the opposite of that. I want to give. I want, I'm, I'm so loving. I want to do for others. I want to be, uh, you know. I want to be the um, best lover for them. Best lover for them. And, and again, watch out. Um, you know, it should sound like this. No, it should be like this, but not sound like this because this would be a turnoff. Here's what I think we should be. Um, we should be monogamous, and I'll tell you why. 
Um, this is why I think it's a good idea for me, and this is why I think it's a good idea for you. And while we're at it, I think we should be completely transparent with each other. And here's why. Um, this is why I think it's not only good for me and you, but this is why I think it would be good for us. Um, and while we're at it, um, I think we should um, uh, you know, know each other better than we know ourselves. Um, I know that sounds difficult, but here's why I think I should do that with you. And the way, okay, you know, you're not going to say this to somebody, but this should be the attitude. And, and, uh, when, when you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to play by the rules or, you know, you want to do it this way and they say, well, you know what, um, that may be fine for you, but I don't like that idea of transparency. I I don't like it. Um, that's the time to say, okay, um, nice to meet you, uh, and go on. But, but, Here's the thing. If you cannot, if you come up with your principles, what you think a relationship should be, if you cannot pitch it to that person as to why it's also a good idea for them, you're, uh, you're not thinking it through yet. Uh, you're not done. Um, you have to be you're able still, to formulate. You're stuck in a one-person system. That's right. Still. You're stuck in a one-person system. Right. This is like, hey, come on, let's, let's uh, form something. Let's create something. Let's start something. And here's how I, I envision the principles that will guide us. Um, are you in? Does which that is, sound like you want to do that? Right, which is part of why you can't quite know that until you've already partnered, because then you can't really know what is good for them or what isn't good for them. Well, actually, I don't know if that's true, because um, a lot of these ideas, uh, you know, are general ideas that most people, if you really boil it down, would say yes to, right? We're not talking about, I want to live in the country, you know, uh, you know, we're not talking about that. I want a car, you know, I, I want 10 kids, although that would be important too, right? To, to know the, <laughs> right in the front. The big ticket items. The big ticket <laughs> items because so many people I see, and, you, and I know you guys do too, um, how many couples do we see that have deal breakers hidden somewhere mm-hmm. where they swept it under the rug, they kicked the can down mm-hmm. the road, you know, and, uh, and it's kind of like this, it's kind of like this, you know, um, I never want children. Ever, 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 ever. I don't want children ever. And the other person says, I've always dreamed of having children. That's my dream. I can't live, uh, I can't end my life without having done that. Uh, and they look at each other and a clear deal breaker looking at, over at the, the abyss that is the end of their relationship. And then they go, let's buy a house. <laughs> and truly, people will do this, you know. Mm-hmm. They'll just ignore that because they don't want the relationship to end. And this is the thing that or will get them. Say, never say never. Never then, say never. You know. right? Never say never. And <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then they come in and that deal breaker is still there, never dealt with, only now it's 10 years down the line. So, you know, that could have been prevented at the beginning, but people choose the uh, not losing something over their principles. Mm-hmm. And if, if people, you know, if people hear anything that I'm saying here, what will protect you in a relationship and also be a good example for people around you is that you, you're guided by your principles that are good for you and the other person, not by such things as you don't want to lose anything, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're, you're going to put yourself into a terrible position where you will lose much, much more, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So just a specific kind of... Um... Uh, just boring down a little bit uh, into a specific example. What about two people who both want a polyamorous relationship with all the other principles intact? If they can, in my in my view, and because I think in terms of secure functioning, if they can, as adults, 
and you know sometimes a third person you know listening to this can can uh, listen for cutting corners and bending reality mm-hmm. to make a deal just to make a deal right but if they can if they can uh, argue to each other why it is a good idea for both of them to do then more power to them that's fine um but oftentimes people uh, do this and they don't make absolutely sure that they're both on board for the right reasons mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get into trouble. Mm-hmm. That's with everything, whether it's polyamorous, or whether it's monogamy, whether right. it's open marriage, yeah, or whether it's you know, anything. See one person wants it more than the other, yeah. and then mm-hmm. the other wants to give it. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if I want that, and I come across this, I'm sure you do too, people who want this, and the other partner kind of goes, well, well you know, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, if the partner pitching this uh, understood... Um, what's about to happen, they would say no to it because, no, I'm not going to do that unless you're completely on board because I don't want this coming back at me, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to be blamed that I pulled you into something mm-hmm. that you really didn't want to do. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you are t- entirely on board. Mm-hmm. But people don't do that. Right. That could be true even about, like, let's move to, you know, Vegas or wherever. Let's yeah. move to California. Right. And the other person's like, well... Yeah. You know, then it should be the person who's pushing that can back up. Has we can, we can only go as slow, as fast as the slowest person right. so that it maintains the we. That's right. And right. if you don't like that, then get a dog. I mean, right, right, uh, right. if being with another person bubble, is what you want, you have to work together. And that is a pain in the ass because those people who have been alone um, don't want to have to go through the hassle of, of selling their partner, convincing, persuading, seducing, right. you know, uh, uh, bargaining, right? But that is the very nature of that beast. And so if you're not willing to do it as a two-person system, then, uh, uh, you know, look forward to trouble. Um, uh, or, um, don't get, uh, coupled. It's as simple as that. That's right. So, and I think that with these principles, uh, that I love, um, you know, there, and there's a lot more of this in some of Stan's books. And I will tell you flat out, there's a couple of things. One is if you haven't yet seen his Ted talk, it is the absolute most fantastic condensed, um, power packed, power punched. Um, uh, what would I say? Um, Thingy. Thingy. <laughs> condensed <laughs> nugget of neuroscience and and sort of the what you the need to know of relationality in just a few minutes. So if you look up Stan Tatkin and TED Talks you will see the state of the art about, um, you know, the need to know and oh, uh, with relational. You. And then also what I recommend in my practice all the time, you do too, Anne. Yes. Uh, Anne is a fantastic couples therapist that refers all the time to your audio book in particular. That's the one that I think people, it's just yeah. so accessible, yeah. uh, which is your brain on love. Um, and people will go and they will listen and usually one partner will listen and one won't. And then that will become the subject. (laughs) Um, but it gives us a shared language and we begin to talk. You know what's amazed me about that? Uh, how many men like it? Yes, I totally agree. Well, my, my vote is it's very, it involves, I, I find men in my practice really responding to it because it, has so scientific basis to it. Yes, right. like, it's like we were speaking about what Gottman brought to us. Goes to they the brought us science. Parts, yes. And so it was like, we're not just talking about woo-woo and fluff. We're right. talking about hardcore. And I know for me, the response when my clients come back from hearing your book 
is such a relief. They'll go, oh my gosh, when I heard the description of a wave, that is me. Or, <laughs> or actually, they typically will come back kind of describing their partners. Like, right, now I understand yes. my partner. And my yes. favorite question is, okay, now which one were you? And let's talk about how you relate. But those descriptions, I think, were really, that you were able to use um, everyday words to describe these deep things right. that we've been yeah. studying in our work for so long. And not only is it then, you know, um, in couples therapy per se, or I know you do a lot of training of couples therapists in yes. PACT, yeah. but then we've also incorporated some of the exercises. We had a podcast just a couple of episodes ago in um, under uh, mindfulness with couples where that we used one of your exercises and we've talked about you in it, um, the reunion exercise, mm-hmm. um, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that again, partly to just let you know about it, but also to remind uh, listeners some of the things to do, some of the practical right. application. Um, and actually, why don't if you don't mind, just why don't you share that uh, particular exercise just Welcome as we home. wrap up? Yeah, um, would you okay. mind? No, not that at all. That way we can hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Okay, so there is science behind this. Yeah, absolutely, I won't, I won't burden everybody with it, uh, but. Uh, and we yeah. talked about that actually in it about the vagal to vagal. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, ventral to ventral stomach. Uh, vagal yeah. to vagal. I'm sorry. Right, right. 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 Sorry. Sorry. But yeah, it's stomach to stomach. Um, the the whole idea here we have you know rituals for a lot of things and you know we want to sit down as a family and eat breakfast or lunch or dinner. But also some people take their shoes off before they get in the house. So we have all sorts of rituals, right? But the one ritual that's missing is the one where the the two major figures in the house, usually the parents, the couple. Um, that they don't have a reunion ritual that respects the idea that they are coming from two different environments, two different states of mind, inside, outside, home, not home. And uh, and that has in a, a powerful effect on both their state of mind, their mood, their perception. Uh, if, and if they can come together, these two people, you know, the traditional way, honey, I'm home, you know, and whoever is in the house drops what they're doing, comes to the front door or whatever, and greets that partner before the kids, before the dogs or cats, and they embrace. And uh, the embrace is different in, in that uh, one person doesn't let go of the other until he or she feels that person relax in their body. And the same with the other partner, right? They're not responsible for their own bodies, they're responsible for the other body, right? So I don't let you go until I feel you fully relaxed. You don't let me go until you feel feel me fully relaxed. And then we go about our business. I recommend that people try this even just for a few days and see if it isn't different. If things if uh, see if things don't change immediately in terms of how the house looks, how you feel about the people in the house, the things in the house, just try it and see if it doesn't change things. If it doesn't, then don't do it. But uh, I think it will. And, and if you, you're not into embracing like that, you can just stand and look at each other in the eyes and you don't let each other go until you see the other, uh, the other person's eyes soften and focus. And this is a way to basically, like tuning forks, uh, bringing those two tuning forks together and basically aligning them and having them be more attuned. And that makes a huge difference. I can't tell you how many people, how many, how many times people get into fights simply because they're not reuniting properly. We've lost that idea. So try that. See what happens. Interesting that you should say that. I was going to ask you a question. And the the reunion is, and, and I, I love that example, and the reunion is such a wonderful thing. But for some reason what's coming to my mind is when you have two different personalities. Yes. And, and we've talked a lot about uh, communicating and really having shared goals. Right. 
But if we think about some of the struggles that couples have, some of it is, is how does what I need in my own personal world contrast to what you need? And if I'm somebody maybe a little bit more like an island and I come home and I feel mm-hmm. overwhelmed, and the reunion would feel um, maybe a little intrusive to begin with, and I kind of want to disappear right. and, yes. and kind of feel averse, like, ah, uh, you know, like you don't know the day I've had. You right. know, and and somebody else can kind of feel that as a loss. Right. And I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm asking you to talk about is um, how does a couple who are wanting to try different things but feeling that it's sort of against their nature, how do they come to... You're, come, t- you're talking about like the real life application. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like right. I think about the couples who's like, please don't speak to me until I'm home for an hour. Where the right. other person really can feel um, they accept that and they go about it in their day because their their spouses ask them for that. That's right. But they're kind of left hanging. And I and I guess more broadly speaking, it's like I think the the concept of how do we have a we and a me. Right. You know what Which my Dan Siegel calls we. <laughs> we. I love that. We. <laughs> so it's kind we. of a broad toss. Sounds like a kiss. <laughs> we. Well, okay, so that's very interesting. So. Uh, so this is very common. You called it an island. Of, basically, we're talking about uh, people who are on the distancing spectrum who uh, you know, have a hard time calming down with another person. They have a hard time shifting their state, and they do it best when they're alone. And one of the reasons they do that because they anticipate um, that there'll be demand. The reason someone who is distancing like that, who wants to go off into the bathroom or into the back room or wherever they go, the basement, uh, to deal with the transition is because they anticipate more demand. And their only way of calming down is to get away from that demand. Therefore, these reunions, when people come back into the house uh, with their adult partner, it has to be low demand, low or no demand. And uh, because that person has to learn, finally, how to actually shift their internal state with a person because they don't believe they ever can. And they have history to prove that, right? They actually have history to prove that. So that has to change because um, uh, there is a way to revitalize oneself with another person. But it, it, it has to be no demand, right? We're not, uh, not coming into the house and hearing about all the problems. I'm not coming into the house and having to deal with a lot of problems. No, we go... We get pulled into a neutral room. Maybe it's the bedroom. We lie down on the bed or in the couch, whatever. And we just are with each other. We can talk about anything. Again, low demand. uh, But it's just making the transition. We have to um, be able to transition each other from work, not work, home, not home, right? Um, And that shift has to happen. So what do you say to the person, your partner, who won't do this welcome home exercise? You say, you're going to do it. And here's why. Because exactly. it is not good for you mm-hmm. to come into your home and not feel like you can go, ah. mm-hmm. you forever have having to do this alone because you don't feel that you can do it. Let's do it. You need it. I need it. And, and that other person has to stick to the rules. You can't just hit them with, okay, now i got to tell you everything I you know, right? <laughs> it, right, it has to be yeah. proven that that is actually safe to do. And uh, people, no matter what, will learn this, and they will no longer need to go off by themselves. When you think about it, it's really stupid, right? Because that's home, right? Home is a place where you just relax. Why don't they think that? It's because they think they're going to be hit with a lot of demands. And that's why they go off by themselves. 
I love that. I'm so glad you asked that question because we have talked about the exercise before, and I think some people have heard it, you may have read it, um, but really this brings it into a much deeper level of Mm -hmm. like what the actual obstacles are to implementing this good idea or this good theory. And I could really just sort of feel it deepening. And you know, the other, pain of it and you know, on both other, sides. And you'll see other partners instrumental in this because yes, right. if I if I am saying something to you um, that I can argue is not only good for me but good for you, I totally then I can that. say, you know what, no, that's not going to happen. Right. It's not uh, just for me. I right. don't need you to come in and be that's here for right. me. You need it as you well. You need it. I'll tell I need you how it. you what, need it. Yeah, that's what makes it a mutual thing. Yeah, so well, shut but, up and come with me. Right, well, both because also... If you need it, the other person then is going to want to give it versus mm-hmm. it's just good for me or you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. both right. and both and. So right. it's really lovely. I'm really, mm-hmm. really glad we added that piece. Yeah. Well, and it's also. And I loved your answer to that. It was really nice. It, it's also a really great reminder for any couple. And again, we're talking about any relationship, roommates, but it, primarily if we're talking about a couple here to have low demand times. I think that's yes. part of the mm-hmm. issue that I see with yeah. a lot of couples yes. is that we are life partners. We are we are fighting the world together and right. interfacing and we forget that we need that low demand time together to We have to, to build regenerate. Up. We have to regenerate. And Otherwise, calling it, yeah. I love calling it a low demand time. Yeah. Low demand time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just before bedtime, you know, we're, we're big on recommending that, that partners uh, put each other to bed at night and wake up together in the morning if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that people sleep better at night when they do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day is better. And um, also, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, in a childhood and adulthood, nighttime and morning are the two most disturbing times for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're ending the day, we're going unconscious, we're going into another world, we're waking up, uh, you know, startled, you know, uh, and we expect hopefully another person there that can help launch us in the day. So if you, if people have no time to be with each other, carve out, make sure you got the night before going to bed, before going to sleep in the morning. Those are the two most important times for people. Uh, make sure that the, those are protected as low demand. Fantastic. These are great boots on the ground, things to do. Um, and we are so glad that you um, are listening and that you got a chance to hear uh, Dr. Tatkin. Please check out our website at therapistuncensored.com for more for show notes and for how to reach Dr. Tatkin in person. His website will be on there along with his books. Um, and speaking of Stan, you have some upcoming books. You want to mention those? They're in the works. Uh, one is a premarital handbook, and the other one is going to be another audio. Uh, uh, that is uh, the working title right now is Relationship Rescue, uh, and so that's upcoming for 2017. Awesome, fantastic! Uh, so thanks for listening. You can find us on anywhere that you get your podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. And be sure and sign up for our email list so that you won't miss any future happenings. Take care. We'll see you around the bend. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it and want to hear more, you can always subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. Or go to our website and check out all the articles and podcasts at www.therapistuncensored.com. Finally, thanks to our colleagues that were gracious enough to be interviewed for this podcast. Bye. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show. Mm-hmm.